Hello, and welcome to the first ever Sukiyaki Cinema Podcast, the source for Japanese movie reviews and discussions. Today, we'll be looking at director Tai Kato's 1964 classic, Fighting Tatsu, the Rickshaw Man, a film that really impressed me, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Now, Tai Kato. Has remained relatively unknown in the West. He's kind of hovered under the radar. While the likes of Kurosawa and Ozu have long been recognized for their contributions to cinema, it hasn't been until recently that lesser well known directors, particularly those with grittier, more violent, and less conventional films, have gotten their share of attention and recognition. Perhaps the best example is Kinji Fukasaku, whose gritty movies like The Yakuza Papers and Battle Royale were once dismissed as crude grindhouse cinema. But like Fukasaku, it's only a matter of time before Kato gets his share of the attention and the recognition he deserved. Although he has a huge library to choose from, Fighting Tatsu is an excellent place to start. Kato gained notoriety. For serious Yakuza and samurai films. Although Fighting Tatsu has Yakuza and samurai elements, this movie is a lighthearted affair. But it's very satisfying because it offers a nice array of comedy, action, and even romantic elements. Best of all, Fighting Tatsu embodies the badassery common among Japanese films of the 1960s. All these elements combine with great cinematography. And an enjoyable story to make for a really excellent film. Now, one thing that got me looking forward to Fighting Tatsu right from the opening credits was its location. It's introduced that the story takes place in Osaka in 1898. And for those of you that are familiar with Japan, you know Osaka has a pretty seedy reputation. It's supposed to be louder and rougher than other places in Japan, and it's kind of a counterpart to. The clean, polite city of Tokyo. So once Osaka flashed across the screen, I knew it was going to be an interesting movie. The movie opens with a ragged looking guy getting off a train with a lot of luggage. Almost immediately, he gets into a scuffle with a rich, westernized Japanese gentleman. He's wearing kind of a suit, a top hat, he has a little curly mustache and glasses. He basically looks like a Japanese guy dressed as the Monopoly man. Now, the rich guy tells this ragged looking vagabond to get out of his way. Now, you probably already guessed this vagabond will be the story's main character, fighting Tatsu. Tatsu immediately asks the guy, Why should I move? This is public space. I have the same rights as you. This confrontation gives us an immediate feeling for Tatsu's character. He's not going to take shit from anyone, and he's not afraid to speak his mind. After a night in a hotel, Tatsu sets to work. He pulls out his equipment in front of the station and sets to putting together his rickshaw. A crowd quickly assembles because of one of the more interesting elements to his rickshaw, which is a rubber wheel, which none of the people had seen before. This was something new. And they all marveled at how comfortable the ride must be. But with all the potential customer base came some unwanted attention of local Yakuza, 
who had already established themselves as the rickshaw men of the area. Now, just to give you an idea of how important the rickshaw was to this local economy, in front of the station was a big dirt lot. There were no paved roads in this movie. It's all dirt roads. It's all pre-war, old-school Japan. And the rickshaws were lined up outside the station like taxi cabs would be lined up today. So it was a pretty profitable and important business that this guy from another area had just come in to take over in the eyes of the people who were already working there. Well, after he ruffles a few feathers and gets into a few arguments, the Yakuza leave Tatsu alone and he sets to work. Eventually he comes across a snarky female customer. The girl's attitude rubs Tetsu the wrong way, and he does what any able-bodied rickshaw man would do. He tosses her into the river. Tatsu stands at the bridge and watches the ensuing panic before jumping in to save the woman. Afterwards, he finds out she's in fact a geisha for the local Yakuza boss. He's brought before the Yakuza boss and asks, Why did you throw her in the river? And afterwards, why did you jump in and save her? Tatsu contests that after throwing this girl in the river, he realized he had fallen madly in love with her and had to save her. Tetsu's rough but honorable demeanor earns immediate respect from the Yakuza leader, Nishikawa, who offers Tatsu the girl's hand in marriage. Tetsu accepts the marriage but refuses to enter the Yakuza group. He chooses to remain on friendly terms with them, but refuses to actually become a member. The plot thickens when Nishikawa, the Yakuza leader, is sent to prison and Tatsu becomes a more important friend of the Yakuza than ever before. What we have is a wonderful setup for romantic rivalries and rival gang conflicts, with Tatsu caught in the middle of it all. Although Yakuza and samurai films of this kind were a dime of dozen during the era, Tatsu is definitely worth your time. Director Kato does an excellent job framing beautiful shots, and they're beautiful and interesting sets. For example, old Osaka Station. There's a lot of beautiful bridges and riverside shots as well. They're just beautiful to look at. It was a pleasure to see the pre-war Meiji-era architecture in its glory. In that sense, the movie is kind of a time capsule to a time that perhaps we don't get to see often in Japanese cinema. So many movies take place during the samurai era before Meiji. So many movies take place during the war or directly after the war and of course in present times. But this short window when Japan was first being westernized is not as popular. And that's one thing that makes Fighting Tatsu, the rickshaw man, worth watching. I already mentioned the beautiful shots, but they were also challenging to the viewer in a way. Because on first viewing, a lot of opening shots to scenes kind of had me scratching my head. Why would the director start a shot this way? For example, there's one shot where Tatsu is sitting in his rickshaw, but instead of getting a shot of the whole rickshaw, there, there's never a wide shot to establish the position. We just see Tatsu's head, and he's kind of smiling, sitting there laid back. We don't even see the rickshaw. We basically just see his face. And it's at the bottom of the screen, 
And when the scene first came on, I was wondering, why would the director cut off Tatsu's body, the rickshaw, any ground? He basically cut off, cut out everything in the frame except for Tatsu's head. But once Tatsu started talking, a friend walked into the shot and the director's reasoning was like, it struck me that this is why he set up the shot. There are plenty of shots like that, that really, upon first glance, they felt really awkward. But after watching for a couple of seconds, the director's intention became known. It was revealed. So in that case, Tetsu was kind of fun to watch to see what kind of shot the director would throw at us next. I also learned a few things from fighting Tatsu, the rickshaw man. For example, for some reason I had always had the image of a rickshaw as being something from China, a Chinese invention, something used in China. But after watching the movie, I did a little research and found out that although there are a few different theories as to the invention of the rickshaw, most of them are connected to Japan. A couple are connected to the United States, and none were connected to China. So rickshaw is actually a Japanese invention dating back to the late 1800s. According to Wikipedia, the word rickshaw originates from the Japanese word jinrikisha, which uses the kanji jin for human, riki for power, and sha, which is vehicle. It literally translates to human-powered vehicle. So there you have the origin of the word and the contraption that is known as rickshaw. Another thing I took away from fighting Tatsu, the rickshaw man, is this conflicted idea of public spaces in Japan. It's introduced in the movie early on. When Tatsu gets into the argument with the rich man at Osaka Station, he declares that the station is a public space and it's as much his right to use it as it is the wealthy man. Later in the movie, Tatsu goes, quote-unquote, fishing with the Yakuza boss. I say, quote-unquote, fishing because they were doing dynamite fishing, which is taking a stick of dynamite and throwing it into the body of water, the river, the lake, whatever, and having it explode and kill the fish. This practice of dynamite fishing is what gets the Yakuza boss in hot water and eventually leads to his arrest and imprisonment. Once again, the theme of public spaces came to the forefront. The Yakuza boss argued that the river was a public space that he was free to use, but the bystander who turned him in and played as an eyewitness to the crime, declared that yes, the river is a public space, but dynamite fishing is an endangerment to other people who might want to use the public space, and therefore the Yakuza boss should be put away for endangering people's lives. Later on in the movie, when the Yakuza groups face off, they're facing off in a public space. And again, the idea of endangering other people comes into play. If you're at all familiar with the homeless problem that's currently going on in Japan, if you go to certain public parks in big cities like Tokyo and Osaka, you might find these kind of blue tarp villages, which is the equivalent to the Western image of living in a cardboard box. These people 
construct small tents and houses out of blue tarps and cardboard and live there in the park. My take on the situation is in the United States it's not tolerated because the park is a public space and no one could go there and actually live there. But in Japan, the homeless people argue, because the park is a public space, they have a right to use it and also have a right to live there. Until learning that perspective from a documentary I had watched on the homeless problem, it had never occurred to me that that argument could even be made. That a homeless person living in a public space had the right to it because it was public. Not only is it an issue in present-day Japan, but now we could think that it was a theme back in the 1800s when fighting Tatsu took place, in the late 1800s, and then even in the 1960s when the movie was made. In other words, this idea and conflict over public spaces seems to be a constant in Japanese history, at least from the Meiji era, if not before. So it was kind of a bonus little cultural point that the movie offered. I took a little extra away from the movie because of it. Now, Fighting Tatsu, the rickshaw man, does not have an official Western DVD release from what I see. But if you type into your Google search engine, Fighting Tatsu, the rickshaw man DVD, there are other editions you could pick up, some region-free editions. Some of them have subtitles from what I've seen. And at least up until when this podcast was released, you could watch the movie for free on YouTube. I recommend you do so. It's a great movie. It looks great. It's well acted. It has a fun, romantic, action-packed story. The main character is awesome. I don't know, if you're a fan of Japanese cinema, I think you're going to enjoy this film. So please check it out. And thanks for listening.